Well, good morning, church. I hope that you are ready for a word. I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, why don't you put your hands together wherever you are? I know we're not here in the sanctuary, but come on, let's give God a praise. Last week, we talked about gratitude. We talked about lifting God up, thanking God for all that God has done for us. Why don't you lift up right now just the sound of thanks to God, just the sound of gratitude that you woke up, that you were able to, to log in, that you were able to have your right mind, that you were able to have clothes on your back. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God. There's, there's a lot of people who are struggling right now right now. Let's not be ungrateful, church. Let's not forget the discipline of gratitude. As a matter of fact, let us immediately enter into the presence of God with praise and thanksgiving, but also with supplication as well for those who are struggling right now. Let's be clear, church. There are people who are not able to do the things that we are able to do. And those of us who have been through hurricanes, who have been through inclement weather, we can sympathize and yes, even empathize with our brothers and sisters, our family in the state of Texas who are struggling right now through this blackout. Many of you might have extended family and friends there that you've been checking up on. And the friends and family that I have that I've been checking up on are dealing with a lot right now. So let us pray right now, not just thanking God for what we do have, but praying on behalf of those who do not have that privilege. God, we come before you right now. We ask that your heart would be turned towards those who need you. We thank you, God, that you are not an impersonal God, a God who is transcendent, but not a God who is imminent. We thank you that you are present in times of trouble. The Bible says you are a very present help in a time of trouble. God, I pray that, that those who are right now without power, without electricity, without heating, without water, without basic life necessities that we take for granted on a daily basis, God, I pray that your spirit would supernaturally provide. I pray that your people would be moved toward generosity, that they would give freely, that they would give of their source, that they would give of even their resources, God that those people would be able to recover in a way that provides for them, in a way that allows them to flourish. God, I think of those without homes um, in, in the state of Texas. God, I think of those who, who need electricity for, for medication or electricity for health. God, electricity for machines that are keeping them alive. God, I pray that your spirit would give grace, would give mercy, would provide in supernatural ways. God, we think of those who are grieving and mourning among, among us. God, we think of the Tillman family who's struggling with a loss. Uh, Minister Madeline Tillman struggling with the loss of a close family member. God, I pray that you would be near to the Tillman family, that you would provide comfort, that there would be grace upon them. God, I think of Elder Melvin Hampton, who's still struggling with the loss of family members and the presence and the proliferation of COVID-19 in their family. God, I think of so many other people who are wrestling and struggling in this moment. God, would you be the help that is needed? We petition and we call on you, not out of spite, God, but out of gratitude because you've been so good to us. We recognize where our help come from. We recognize where our blessing comes from, God. We recognize where our assistance comes from. In the time of trouble, you promised that you would protect us and you would be there for us. So God, I pray right now, whether it's in Texas or in Pensacola, wherever people are watching, that they would feel that presence right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Now, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We've been dealing with this series, This is How We Do It. God's way for God's results. God's way for God's results. And this is in response to the reality that 2021, we've said for our church, it is the year of alignment. The year of alignment means that when it comes time for us to put things in order, we will remember God's way. Order and honor. That's what we're pushing for at our church. And so as we talk about alignment, we've been going through this series where we, where we highlight specific practices, specific things that are important for us to remember in this time. The first practice that we highlighted was Sabbath, which is the general, specific practice of a general idea of rest. Last week, we talked about gratitude and how important it is for us to give thanks to God. And this week, we want to talk about another practice when it comes to alignment that I think is underutilized, understudied, but it's the basics of the Christian faith. Look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. We're going to read through 15 verses here. Bear with me here. I think it's important to read this story in its full context. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army. Because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Verse 8 says, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. Then verse 15, Naaman and his entire party went back and found the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Church, let me tell you something, and I hope you'll be able to receive this confession. 
growing up, I was a good kid. That might be hard to believe for some of y'all, but some of y'all might know the truth. Some of y'all might have faith in me. I was a good kid. I can count on one hand the number of whippings I received from Pastor Greg and Pastor Diane Burns. I'm telling you, I was a good kid. Listen, I showed up on time. I did my homework, kept my room clean for the most part, didn't get into trouble, didn't have too many friends, but the ones that I did, we did the right thing for the most part. Now, now I don't tell you that I was a good kid out of me being better than anyone else. That wasn't the case. I was a good kid because I was afraid. (laughs) Some of y'all know. Now, today, in these days, we have invitational messages, right? We have seeker-sensitive services. We have all these positive messages. We have all these things that are designed to make us feel better about ourselves, to make us leave feeling encouraged, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I remember back in the early days of New Dimensions when Pastor Greg Burns, he wasn't preaching invitational messages. He was preaching fire and brimstone messages. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You know he, he used to say that, that his grandmother used to tell him, she used to wave his, her finger in his face and say, Greg, remember, hell is hot and eternity is a long, long time. I remember the first time I heard that, I said, what are we doing here? What's going on here? Why are we at church? This is something I need to make sure that I, I don't go to that hot place. See, at first I got saved out of fear. See, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You got saved at first. You first came and walked down the aisle because you were afraid of hell. Do something big, hell. Get caught in the sin, you're going to hell. And then on the other side, it wasn't just in the church. See, there was a a fire and brimstone message on one side, and then there was a minute message on the other side in my schooling and my education that was steeped in this idea of judgmentalism. If you did a little thing wrong, you were going to hell. (laughs) Turn on on the radio and listen to music with the beat, going to hell. Watch a PG-13 or R-rated movie, going to hell. Hang out with your friends and laugh too loud, going to hell. Wear jeans, going to hell. Without a belt, going to hell. Use another version of the Bible instead of the King James Version 1611 authorized, going to hell. See, I was afraid, y'all. That kept me from doing the bad thing. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know what it means to be afraid, have a fear factor when it comes to worshiping Jesus. But here's the reality of the matter that, that, that even though I was a good kid, even though I barely got any whoopings, the truth of the matter is all of the whoopings that I received had a singular common denominator. There was always this phrase that my parents would say that would set me off. Now, here's what I know. You might not have my upbringing. I might not have your upbringing. Your family might have done things differently than my family did. But I think all of us can identify with this reality that there is a shared experience that we have around this one simple phrase. If you grew up in a black household, I'd be willing to take out all the money in my pocket, lay it at the altar, and bet you that you have heard this phrase at least once, maybe twice, maybe 10 times, maybe 100 times in your household. As a matter of fact, this might be cross-ethnic. It might be cross-cultural, multi-ethnic reality. That if you grew up with parents who were very strict, you probably know a little something about this. See, it would always be my parents would tell me to do something. I would ask them why. And this statement would always get me in trouble. They would always say this statement and I wouldn't understand it. And if I responded back to this statement, it was guaranteed there was going to be a whooping in store for me. The statement is, of course, because I said so. So some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Is that triggering for anybody else? Can you put a hand up in the comments if your parents also said to you, if your guardian also told you, do something. Why? Because I said so. 
Do it the way I said it. Why? Because I said so. I couldn't believe it. I, I thought that there was room for conversation. I thought that there was room for negotiation. I thought that there was room for us to, to barter it out, for us to talk through it. I thought that there was equal footing between me and my parents, but my parents were trying to remind me that there is a difference in this household. You are the child. We are the parents. And when we tell you to do something, you need to do it. Why? Because we said so. Now I was aghast at this. I'm triggered by the reality of looking back at it. But now as a parent, I think I'm starting to understand it a little bit. True, I want my kids to be able to speak freely. My parents gave me opportunities to speak freely. But there are some times when you can see some things that your kids can't. You see, I have young kids, so they're not at the age of asking why, but they're at the age of ignoring me. I'll scream at them. I'll holler at them for doing something, not out of anger, but just to get their attention, to tell them, don't stick your finger in the socket. Don't push the television. It might fall back upon you. Don't flip something up because it's going to actually flip back upon you. And Benaiah and Trinity will act like they don't hear me. I'll say, bud, bud, don't do that. And he'll just be looking off and he'll act like he doesn't hear me. Trinity, don't touch that. She'll just be looking off and act like she doesn't hear me. And part of me wants to rise up and say, now that I'm a parent, I judge my my parents, but now that I'm a parent, I want to say, do it because I said so. See, I'm starting to understand that my parents were trying to teach me this principle. This is a crucial principle, not just in spiritual, not just in natural matters, but also in spiritual matters. It's the principle of obedience. It's the practice of obedience. Why don't you type obedience in the comments? Obedience is, is something that is understudied, underutilized, and under-talked about in the church world because we are trying to give people their cake and eat it too. We are trying to allow people to have the freedom not to be offended. But the truth of the matter is there are some things in our lives that we cannot get away from. We must obey. That's why the subtitle of this series, This Is How We Do It, is this. God's way for God's results. Not your way for your results. Not the way you think everybody else should do it. For the, for the results that God has for you. No, you have to do God's way if you are going to get God's results. And so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to tell you here that the essence of alignment is obedience. Obedience is the currency in the kingdom of God. How do we know this? Well, we just need to first look at redemption. Do you realize that you are saved not because of your obedience, but because of the obedience of another on your behalf? You are saved because Jesus was obedient, Philippians 2.8 says, even unto death, even the death of the cross. When we look at redemption, we see that Jesus was obedient to save us. We see that Jesus was obedient to redeem us. How many of you are glad that Jesus was obedient? Jesus didn't have to do it, but Jesus committed to the mission that was given to him. Jesus didn't have to save us, but Jesus was obedient enough to reach out and do something that he did not have to do. It was the obedience that redeemed us. If you don't believe me in redemption, look at sanctification. Obedience isn't just what redeems us, but obedience is also what advances us. Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus puts it like this, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God, and put it into practice. Even more blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey. If you want to advance in the kingdom of God, if you want to experience all that God has, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you must be obedient. If you don't believe me in redemption and sanctification, look at ethics. The Bible is clear that we have a command to obey 
God's command for us, which is John 15, 12, this is my commandment, Jesus says, love each other in the same way that I've loved you. Do you realize that God is pushing us toward obedience? Do you realize that God is pushing us toward obedience in our relationships? God is pushing us toward obedience in our finances. God is pushing us toward obedience in our stewardship. God is pushing us toward obedience in our walk with God, in our following of Jesus, because obedience is the currency in the kingdom of God. Do you believe that, church? Is that good news for you? Does that feel like oppressive news to you? Does that feel like bad news to you? But let me remind you that when we talk about obedience, obedience is not just for God. Obedience is for our good as well. Obedience is not just for God's glory, but obedience is for our good when we do and trust and believe in the things that God says. Believe them enough to do them. We will experience the results. How many are glad that Jesus was obedient? How many are are glad that God blesses obedience? How many are glad that God has commanded obedience for other people and how they treat you? And how many are committing today, I myself will participate in that obedience? This commitment that we're making today is the same commitment that a man named Naaman had to make. Now, Naaman wasn't in our position. Naaman was a foreigner. Naaman was a great and mighty captain. As a matter of fact, he was the commander of the Syrian army. And Naaman, he had such great acclaim and he had such great power and might that he was considered by all people to be the man in Syria. The king was at his beck and call. Soldiers were at his command. People would do what he said to do simply because he said to do it. And people obeyed him, but Naaman had to realize that there was someone he had to obey himself. You see, there was this reality of the fact that he was great in one sense, but he was deficient in another. And the deficient sense was he had leprosy. Now, last week in our sermon, we talked about what leprosy is. It's this flesh-eating disease. It's this disease that at its worst form causes your skin to rot and your bones and appendages to fall off. And this was seen as, as, a, as, a, as a disease that could cause you to lose everything. And we talked about it in the context of men who didn't have a claim last week. But think about it in terms of naming. He had all this power. He had all this might. He had all this status and authority. But yet he was deficient. Yet he had leprosy. And ironically, he had a prisoner of war in his house, a young woman who had been captured by Armenian raiders. And she had been brought to be a servant, but she was a child of Israel. She was a child of the one true God. And she says that I wish my master would go and see this prophet in Samaria. And this is probably jarring for Naaman because he never expected to be receiving advice from a person that he's better than. Think about it. He's this great and powerful man, but he's receiving advice from a person that he's better than. He goes to the king and he says, king, can you get me in touch with the other king in Israel and then make sure that Israel's king heals me and connects me with the person that is supposed to be the healer. And so he does that. And then now he goes to the prophet and he receives instructions through a prophet that he's bigger than. Think about this. First, he receives advice from a person who he's better than, someone who's lesser than him, someone who is a slave, someone who is a prisoner of war. Then he receives instructions through a prophet who he's bigger than. And this prophet doesn't come out and greet him and coddle his ego and tell him that he's great and awesome and bow down before him and genuflect. But rather, this prophet tells him to get healing from a practice that's beneath him. 
Think about this church. He gets advice from a person he's better than, instructions to a prophet he's bigger than, and healing from a practice that's beneath him. Naaman is all mixed up. Naaman is all confused because he is being pushed to his ego limits. He is being pushed to the limits of his status, the limits of his acclaim. And Naaman has to step back and say, if I want my healing, then I have to obey. If I want my deliverance, then I have to obey. If I want my breakthrough, then I have to obey. If I want to be advanced, then I have to obey. Church, let me remind you, if you want what God has for you, you have to obey. If you want what God desires for you, then you have to obey. If you want your prayers to be answered, if you want to live a flourishing life, if you want God to do the things in your life that God is capable of doing at some level, you have to obey. And so I want to remind you here, the essence of alignment is obedience. Obedience is currency in the kingdom of God. So, so let's take a look at three statements here, just three principles about obedience that I want you to write down that I think are going to bless your life if you live by them. The first statement is this. Obedience is about position of heart, not position of life. Type in the comments, the heart. Type the heart in the comments. Obedience is about position of heart, not position of life. Now, mind you, Naaman is great according to everyone's standards. Naaman should have the greatness and the access and the ability to get anything that he desires. Yet, Naaman's healing comes via someone who is less than him. God placed in Naaman's life someone who was less than him but understood more than him. God placed in Naaman's life someone who did not have the status, the acclaim, and the privilege that he had, but had the power. God placed in Naaman's life someone who everybody in society would have forgotten about, but that Naaman was charged to listen to. It is a reminder to us that obedience is not about our station and our position in life, it is not about how much we have. It is not about how powerful we are. But obedience is about the position of our hearts. What's in your heart? What's deep down in your soul? What's the condition of your alignment with God? What's your condition of submission to the cause of Christ? And I think God is trying to remind us, don't come into the presence of God flexing your position of life when your heart is wrong. Let me break it down. Let me break, don't, don't run off. Let me break it down. Notice what Naaman did. Naaman, when he had a problem, was instructed by the servant to go to the prophet. But what does Naaman actually do? Naaman doesn't go to the prophet. Naaman goes to a politician. Naaman doesn't go see the prophet. Naaman goes to the power position in the land. Because Naaman thinks that he can game the system to get what he wants. Naaman thinks that if he goes to the, to the avenue where everyone gets the decree, where everyone has the power, where he can flex all his connections. And not only that, when he goes from king to king, politician to politician, what does he bring? He brings 750 pounds of silver. He brings 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. Here, I bring you my bribe. 
Here, I bring you all the things that I think you're going to want to hear. Here, God, I bring you my church attendance. Here, God, I bring you all the money that I've sowed into this organization and into this church and into this venture. God, I bring you all my good deeds. God, I bring you all my greatness. I bring you all my talent, my gifts, my anointing. And here's the reality. We like to flex our position of life. We like to flex our talent. We like to flex our gifts, but we don't like to audit our hearts. We don't like to audit the fact that many of us have a great position in life, but few of us have a great position of heart. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. If we want to truly walk in kingdom obedience, if we want to have the currency in the kingdom of God, this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Do you want privilege or power? What do you mean? Do you want the privilege that comes through life or the power that comes through the spirit of God? And let me tell you something, church. There are a lot of people who have privilege but don't have the true power that comes from being in the presence of God. Dare I say there are a lot of Christians and Christian leaders and ministers and pastors and bishops and apostles and great men and women of God according to what the world says who have great privilege in matters of life but weak power in matters of heart. I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between money and favor, if I had to choose between privilege and power, if I had to choose between the blessings of man and the blessings of God, I'd choose the blessings of God, the favor of God, the power of God, not because it looks better, but because I know it's going to sustain and last me longer. All the privilege that Naaman had in his earthly life couldn't buy him the power of God. Somebody needs to hear this. All the privilege that you bring to God, all the things that you throw at the feet of God and say, this should earn me your favor, this should earn me my healing, this should earn me advancement, it is nothing in the presence of God if you do not have power in your heart, if you do not have power in your spirit. It's not about position of life, it's about position of heart. And I think there are a few people who realize this reality, that just because it seems like other people are doing better than you, doesn't mean that they have the same power that you have. Don't get caught up in the status of what other people have on the outside. I'm speaking to somebody. Don't get caught up in the status of how far other people are in comparison to your journey on the outside. Don't get caught up in the status of what people have said and done and accomplished at your age on the outside. Get wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in the reality that I want the power of God. I want the freedom of God. I want the anointing of God. Even if you have all the privilege, I'll take the power. You can take all the money, I'll take the favor. You can have all the esteem, I'll take the blessing. Is there anybody who is committing right now to say, I'm not going to bring my privilege to God. I'm going to bring the true power that comes from the Spirit of God, the power of obedience. Come on, if that's you, why don't you wave your hand right now at me. Why don't you wave your hand and remind yourself that the thing that God looks for is not position in life. It's position of heart. That's why Watchman Nee says spiritual advancement is measured by faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. I'm going to stay here for a second because there are some people who need to hear this. You've been thinking that you've been failing for so long. You've thought that God has forgotten about you because you don't have the same privilege that everyone else does. You don't have the same money that everybody else does. But God is saying, wait a second, you've got a power that nobody else has. Everybody can get money. Everybody can get status. Everybody can get all these other things. 
But don't forget the things that everybody can't get. Everybody can't get in the presence of God. Everybody can't be heard by God. Everybody can't have joy in joyless situations. Everybody can't pray for healing even though it doesn't affect them. Everybody doesn't have the connection to the spirit of God. So the question is, do you want privilege or power? That's why obedience is not about position of life. It's about position of heart. Keep going here. Statement number two. Very important. God works in our outcomes and our obedience. Someone type outcome in the comments. Type outcome. Notice what Elisha the prophet, the one who is tasked to be the healer, tells to Naaman, the great Syrian captain. Notice what he says. He doesn't even come out but sends through a messenger. He says, go and wash yourself out. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. In other words, if you obey, you'll get the outcome you desire. But what offended Naaman? What offended Naaman wasn't the fact that he didn't have an outcome. It's the fact that he didn't want to obey in the process that was necessary to produce the outcome. Stay with me. Naaman didn't have a problem with what Elisha was ultimately saying would happen. He had a problem with the reality of what Elisha was telling him to do to make the thing happen that he desired. And many of us have forgotten, just like Naaman, that God doesn't just work in the outcomes of production. God works in the obedience of our discipleship. God works in outcomes, the things that he provides, and our obedience. Let me do a test. Let me do a test. Ask yourself this question. How many of the things that you're frustrated with right now are things that you pray for? <laughs> How many of the things that bother you and get on your nerves right now at this present moment are things that you ask God for? God, I can't stand these coworkers. Man, I can't stand my boss. God's like, wait a second, but you pray for a job. Hold up, hold up, but you pray for a promotion. Man, it's always these kids and everything, man. They just got thing after thing, and oh, I'm just so frustrated. Wait a second. But you pray for a family. Man, you know what? It's these people I just can't get from. Well, hold up. But you, you pray for friends. Man, you know, it's just all these things. It's one thing after, but you pray for increase. So now that your stewardship has increased at the same time as your possessions have, now you're upset because you, you wanted the outcome but no obedience. God is not interested in providing outcomes if you are not interested in participating in obedience. This is why, church, you can have blessed but immature believers. Can, can I go there? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I go there? This is why you have blessed but immature believers. People have had a miraculous move of God, but their behavior doesn't match the blessing. God provided the outcome for you but you don't act in your behavior like you've been blessed by God. You act like you've blessed yourself. So there are people who are only interested in the outcome. And here again, don't get it twisted. God is gracious enough to provide you with outcomes. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. People who ain't doing right still get blessed. So don't think that the outcome is proof 
that the obedience is there. Don't get it twisted, church. But there are many of us who have asked God for an outcome but have not corresponded in obedience. We had no intention of obeying because all we wanted was what God could provide. God will change your situation. Hear me, church. God will change your situation, but God will also change you in your situation. This is the rub. We want it one way, but God doesn't operate like that. I'll change your situation, but here's the thing. I'm also going to change you in the midst of your situation. So when we desire outcomes, we miss out on the true transformation power of obedience. That obedience has the power based upon us doing the things that God has told for us to do, to change us, to transform us, to advance us, to heal us, to deliver us, so that God will not have to do the same outcomes we expected because the life will be consistent, because our actions will be consistent, because our words will be consistent, because our life will be consistent. And by aligning with God in obedience, we get the outcome and we get the heart. We get the things and we get the transformation. We get the, we get the blessing and we get the behavior. See, this is why, church, you cannot settle for surface-level Christianity. You cannot settle for surface-level religion. You cannot settle for surface-level actions. God has called us to, yes, pray for the outcome, but also to obey in the midst of it. How many of the things that you pray for are now frustrating you? How many of the things that you begged God for are now things that are bringing you pain and discomfort? Perhaps God is saying, yes, I'll give you the outcome, but don't forget about the obedience. Don't forget about doing the thing that I've asked you to do. Don't forget about living right. Don't forget about obeying. Finally here, the third statement, write this down. Obedience is not about desire. It's about deliverance. <laughs> Notice when Naaman walks away, the officers grab him and they try to reason with him. That's what the scripture literally says. And they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? The prophet told you to do something spectacular, wouldn't you have done it? The prophet told you to slay a great enemy, wouldn't you have done it? The prophet told you to give a massive offering, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says something simple. Just go and wash and be cured. But here's the thing. Naaman wanted God's way on his terms. Naaman wanted God's results his way. Naaman wanted the blessing of God in the avenue that he, he chose. He wanted to negotiate with God. Obedience is not primarily about giving you what you desire. It's about delivering you from what you shouldn't desire. <laughs> Obedience is not primarily about delivering to you the thing that you want. It's about purging your motives to ask the question, what should I want? What should I desire? What should I seek after? What should I pursue? What should I follow after? What should I grab a hold on to? What should I keep holding on to? And God is doing the hard work, not of asking the question about what you desire, that's clear, but asking the question, what desires do you need to be delivered from? 
Naaman had a desire to do it his way. There are better ways. Aren't these other rivers better? Aren't these other bodies of water cleaner? God, wouldn't it give you more glory if my kids weren't so bad? God, wouldn't it give you more glory if I never lost my job? Wouldn't it give you more glory if these situations were worked out? God, wouldn't it give you more glory if I got the things that you told me I was supposed to get in the way I think they're supposed to be delivered. God, wouldn't it give you more glory if this happened? Wouldn't it give you more glory if I got this promotion? Wouldn't it give you more glory if I was famous? Wouldn't it give you more glory if I had all this stuff? God, can't we do it this way? And God is saying, no, 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 you can't have it this way. I'm trying to purge your desires. I'm trying to deliver you from the things you shouldn't desire. And God is saying to some people today, I know what you desire but can you do it my way? Can you do it the way that I've told you? Can you say yes, even when I ask you the simple, non-impressive, non-spectacular thing? This is how God is challenging us today. What is the thing that God has told you to do that you just refuse to say yes to? What is the thing that God has instructed you to do for years and you've been avoiding because it was uncomfortable? What is the thing that God told you to do and you've been tiptoeing around because you thought there was a better way? What is the thing? This is what God is challenging us on. Can you simply say, yes, I'll do whatever you say? Can you simply say, God, I don't understand it, but I'll try it? Can you simply say, God, can you communicate to me again because I missed it the first time or I wasn't listening the first time, but God, can you remind me of what you truly want me to do with my life? You want to get aligned with God? The essence of alignment is obedience. Saying yes. The core of obedience is not just saying yes to what God can do, not just saying yes to what God asked us to do, but also trusting that God has a reason behind it. I want to pray today for the people who haven't said yes to the basic thing, who haven't said yes to the simple thing, who haven't followed through with the very simple instruction that God has been telling us. I found in my walk with God, it's not complex all the time. Sometimes it's simple. It's not something that is confusing all the time. Sometimes it's just unexplainable. But it's simple. And most of us know what it is. And if we don't, I'm going to pray that God reveals it to us. But most of us know what it is. I know what it is in my life. You probably know what it is in your life. But God is just simply saying, do this. Obey and trust that there's a reason. Trust me not just for the outcome, but trust me in the process of obedience. Don't bring your position of life. Bring me your position of heart. Don't don't get caught up in your desires. Embrace the deliverance from the things you shouldn't desire. And I'll bless you because you're aligned with me. Obedience is the currency of the kingdom of God. Anybody saying today afresh, God, I'll say yes. I'll obey. If that's you, I want you to type in the comments, I say yes. I say yes, God. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to your process. Yes to the things that you are challenging me to do. Yes to the things I don't want to do. God, I say yes to you today. 
If that's you, why don't you lift your hands up right now? I would ask you to stand if we were here, but we're not here together. But you can stand even if you feel led to. And I want us to say yes to God today. I want us to say yes to the things that God has called for us to do. Yes to the simple things. Obedience. It's the hardest practice, but it's also the simplest. It's simply saying yes. Right now in your own way, I want you to say out loud to God, I say yes. If that's you and you're committing to obedience, I want you to say, God, I say yes. I say yes to you, Lord. I say yes to everything that you have for me and the way you have called me to get it. It's uncomfortable to me. It frustrates me. It's not the way I would choose it. I want to negotiate with you, but I'm going to trust that you see some things I don't. I'm going to trust that you're going to reveal the purpose in your timing. And it's hard for me to do that, God. I don't want to do that. But God, would you be good enough to send some people my way, like, just like you sent to Naaman? Some people who will reason with me. Some people who will plead with me. Some people who will challenge me. Some people who will say, just do the simple thing that God is calling for you to do. And yes, it may be uncomfortable, but that yes is liberating. That yes will change your life. God, I pray right now for those who are struggling with this reality. I pray for those who are moved and convicted over the things they have not obeyed you for. God, I pray that it is truly conviction, not condemnation. I pray that there is grace that they fall into. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So God, I pray that there is a wash of truth that comes over them, a wash of grace that comes over them. But, but God, I also pray that there is a movement towards doing what you have called for us to do. I pray that we don't get slack in that. I pray that we don't allow ourselves to drift away from that. But God, I pray that there is a steadfast commitment that if God says it, I'll do it. And I trust, even if I don't understand, even if I'm honest about my misunderstandings, I will trust. I will trust that God knows what he's talking about. I pray for those who need to make the decision to obey. I pray that this practice is transformational that it transforms not just lives and situations, but people in their situation. And God, I pray that as we obey, you will align us with what you have called and that blessings would flow because we have aligned ourselves in obedience. When you tell us to do something, we say yes, and you bless us accordingly. We thank you, God, that you are obedient for us, and now we commit to being obedient for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, bless you, church. I pray that you walk in obedience this week. I love you so much. We'll see you next week. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I want to give my life to you for real this time. I want to follow you in everything that I say and I do. Transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen. 
and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.